Amen. 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 Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. For this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it, Lord, as we get to worship you in freedom and liberty and truth and righteousness. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord God, that you reign from heaven above. And Lord, as your children, we're gathered at your feet to not only worship, but to get into your word this morning. Let your life-changing truth change our hearts today, we pray. And if that is your heart's cry, that you want your heart to be changed, challenged, and renewed, give the Lord a big amen. 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 You may have a seat. Amen. Amen. Great to see everyone this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, I hope you'll stick around after uh, service. We're having some fried yard bird, some chicken. And uh, so I hope you'll stick around for a fellowship. And this, again, it's great to see you guys this morning. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're looking at verses 26 through 39. And this by far... This New Testament passage that we're looking at this morning, scholars all agree, this is the most severe warning in all of the New Testament. This is the most severe punch in the gut. This is the most severe warning that the, the Word of God gives us in the New Testament. And let me tell you why. Because there's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. There's nothing more important than a person's eternal salvation. When I witness to someone and I share the gospel with someone, I always end the, uh, the, the witness encounter with, with a prayer and just an encouragement to them. Please, 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 I beg of you, think long and hard about what I've talked about. Because when you leave this life, you'll be gone for a long time. So the, the, the Holy Spirit, inspiring the author of Hebrews, has, has him to write this morning this text. So let's read, I just want to read three verses and then we'll jump back and go into our verse-by-verse -verse study. But again, we're starting the message off as a severe warning and then we're ending it with a strong encouragement because that's the flow of the text. So let's take a look at chapter 10 verses 26 through 31. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, thank you for your word. Let it come alive in our verse-by-verse -verse study of what the Bible says. And Lord, bring it home, bring it to our hearts, and let it, use it to cause us to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Look in your Bible. It says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? The title of my message this morning is this, The Consequences of Rejecting Christ, because that is what is placed before us this morning in God's Word. And I love the Word of God because God knows exactly what we need for every moment, every week of our life. And in, in his sovereignty, in our, in our commitment to verse-by-verse -verse study of God's word, we see everything going on in our culture today. And unless your head is in the sand, you see the political turmoil. You see the cultural wars going on. You see all this crazy stuff going on. And you know what all of us doing? is saying, come join, come be a part. Come be a part of the political war. Come be a part of the cultural war. And some of those things I agree are worth fighting for and we should fight for and stand for when it comes to our Christian values and beliefs. But the thing is, let nothing, including what's taking place today in our culture, pull you away from devotion to Christ. Simple, plain devotion to Christ. Don't walk away from the faith. Don't walk away from Christ. That is the most fatal mistake you can make. Have you ever 
made a big mistake in your life? What's, I don't, don't nobody say it out loud, but what is the greatest mistake that you have ever made in, the, in your life? Was it big? Was it small? Were, 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 you, um, were you able to make peace, make reconciliation with whoever you did wrong? You know, I've made a lot of mistakes in life. I, I, I've made a lot of mistakes and I've made a lot of errors in life. But this morning, we're looking at the greatest error any human being could ever make. And right now, millions and millions of people in this world are in the process of making this mistake. And that is rejecting Christ and walking away. He loves you. He died for you. He offers you grace. He offers you peace. He offers you forgiveness. Give me one good reason to turn away from Christ. Or give me one good reason to reject Christ. I've, I've asked a lot of people this question, and nobody can give me a good answer because there is no good answer. God is good, and his mercy and his truth last forever, and it's what draws us in. So let's look at the severe warning that the scholars say is the most severe warning. And again, this speaks of the serious nature of salvation, and the, the thesis up front is do not walk away from Christ. Do not abandon your faith. He who called you is faithful, and he will see you through to the end. Y'all ready? Verse 26. He says, if, or if, we go, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Now, when you read this text, the first thing you have to ask is, what sin is he talking about? Is he talking about backsliding? Is he talking about saying a foul word or, or doing something that's, that's uh, breaking God's law or sinning against him? No, he's not talking about backsliding. The definition of this sin that's described in this passage, look down at verse 29. He'll describe it later on. In verse 29, this sin that's in, this in view in verse 26 is found in verse 29 where it says, they have trampled underfoot the Son of God. And it also says at the end of verse 29, they have insulted the Spirit of grace. Yeah, the Spirit of grace. They've insulted the Spirit of grace, talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, rejecting his work, walking away. Now, I'm going to dive into those two phrases when we get to verse 29. But the point I want to make to you in verse 26 is this, that the sin in view is rejecting Christ or completely walking away. Uh, some scholars say it's, it's just it's outright rejection of Christ before you come to salvation, but it also could be apostasy. Uh, apostasy is someone that's walking in the faith and they, they do a U-turn and they turn their back on Christ. And it says there in verse 26, for if we go on sinning willfully, here it is, after receiving the knowledge of the truth. In other words, the people that's being spoken to, they've heard the gospel, they know the truth, and they deliberately reject and walk away. It's not because they don't, they don't understand, because it says they've received the knowledge of the truth. Understanding is not an issue. Understanding is not an issue with the, the people that's receiving this letter. The, the issue they have is the command to repent. Because when you start talking to people about the command to repent, people don't like that. And when, when people are confronted with this hard truth, that the New Testament requires to repent, they dip out. They dip out and they say, no, thank you. I, I, I love my sin more than I love Christ. And actually what it is, because I was, th this was my story, okay? What it is, is they're blinded. They're blinded by sin. That's the way it was for me. I remember very clearly a gentleman witnessing to me and sharing the gospel with me. And I was getting off of 77 onto I-26. I was 18 or 19 years old. And it was one of those beautiful sunsets. And I saw the clouds and the sun shining through. And you could just see God's glory. And I was thinking about creation. And I was thinking about what this Christian, how this Christian had shared the gospel with me. And I was also thinking about all the times that my grandmother, she pounded the gospel. She preached the gospel to this little sinner for over 10 years. And the thing that kept me from bowing my knee to Christ was not because I didn't have a knowledge of truth, because I did. It's because I didn't want to leave my sin behind. I understood from the gospel presentation that if I, that if I started following Jesus Christ, I would have to forsake my old life. And I loved my sin. It was my pet. 
It was my life. I lived for the sin I could indulge in in my life on the weekends, and I was not ready to give it up. It wasn't because of knowledge of the truth, but that was the case for me. I'd received the knowledge of the truth, but I was like, no, I'm not ready for it. And then, then he says there at the end of verse 26, notice he says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. In other words, what the author is saying is there's no other sacrifice. There's no other sacrifice. There's no other way of forgiveness to be found on planet Earth other than the cross, okay? In other words, if you're going to abandon Christ and you're going to walk away from the Lord, understand that Hare Krishna cannot forgive you. Islam cannot provide forgiveness. All the other religions, they don't, they don't even have a system for forgiveness but except Christianity, and it's the cross. They cannot forgive. Only Christ can forgive. Again, one good reason to reject Christ. There are none. There, there, there's not one good reason. He offers you relief from the guilt of your sin. He offers you grace. He offers you the Holy Spirit. He offers you eternal life. He, he offers to send his Holy Spirit into your life, and then all of a sudden the scales just come down and you see the world in a whole new light. You see for the world as it is in truth. You have what we call a biblical world view. It's an awesome life. You know, I gave my life, I gave my life to the Lord, I don't know, 23, 24 years ago, whatever, how many years ago that was, 1992. And, um, I'm not looking back. I'm not looking back. God has been good to me. Has God been good to you? Serving. Serving with all your life. And if you're, if you're even tempted, if, you're, if you get a little inclination from a demonic spirit that says, turn away from Christ, walk away from him, you tell that spirit where to go. You tell that spirit where to go. And you remember, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And remember everything that Christ has done for you at the cross and in this life. Let's look at verse 27. It gets deep here. He says, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, verse 27. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Whew. When a person rejects Christ, you seal, they seal their fate because there is no other way to find forgiveness. And what happens is they carry the weight of the guilt of their sin in their heart and their conscience because they reject the cross. There's only one way to be forgiven. Acts 4.12 says, for there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else, it says. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's one way, one truth, and one life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the most terrifying thing that could happen to a, to a soul is that you step into eternity without Christ. And what will happen is that individual will bear the weight of their sins, and they'll be judged, and they will spend eternity in hell. And that's what Jesus died on the cross to save us from was from the guilt of your lying, your lusting, your adultery, your dishonoring your parents. You're not always placing him first. See, all those are sins, and they build, they build the weight up on us. And when Christ died on the cross, he died to remove that guilt, to remove that shame, to remove the penalty of that sin so that we could stand in a righteous relationship with, Lord, with, with God. But instead of a us having a terrifying expectation of judgment, there's a better option. Hallelujah. There's a better option for you, my friend, for the world, for our, those around us, and that is this, trust in Christ. Trust in Christ, and he will bear the judgment for you. When Jesus cried on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We believe that the Father was pouring out on his son the wrath. The, the, the just 
and due punishment that was coming to us, it was poured out on Jesus, on him who knew no sin to be the sinless, perfect sacrifice so that in 2020, you could receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he, Jesus being perfect and sinless, give you his righteousness and you get to give him your filthy garments. And he pays the price for it at the cross. That's the better option. That's the better option. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. Now the author is going to, he has a Jewish audience. Um, some scholars believe that these are Jews on the edge of coming to faith. Some of them, some scholars believe that these are Jews that have entered the faith and are tempted to go back. But that's who he's speaking to. But he says in verse 28, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And the key phrase, if you have an NASB translation in verse 28, it says anyone who sets aside. To set aside means to disregard, to ignore, to walk away, or to reject. And this, is a, this verse is a reference to the Israelites from Deuteronomy chapter 17. If you go back and look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 2 through 7, you'll see what they were doing wrong, what these, what these Israelites were doing wrong. They, they chose wickedness over God. They chose evil over God. They rejected God's law. They were serving the pagan gods. And the death sentence was placed upon them because of their outright rejection. But the key phrase of seeing what they did in verse 28 is they, it says they set aside. They set aside. In other words, they disregarded it. They ignored it. They, they walked away. Okay? And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I firmly hold to eternal security, and I firmly understand that every man has a decision to make whether to follow Christ or whether or not. I hold them both with attention, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism, because I believe both of them are written in the scripture. So you have to balance this out. But there's a real warning in the New Testament that says to us today, don't turn away. Don't turn away from Christ. Serve him, live for him, love him. Don't, don't, be, an, don't be an apostate. An apostate is someone that was serving the Lord and then they just completely abandon the faith and they turn away. Those kind of situations, you probably know some, I know some. I think deception came in. I think Satan came in when their guard was down and they were blinded or they were deceived. And, and, and so it, it knocked them off the course and they fell away, they went apostate. But that's why we had the scriptures. That's why we had the word of God to warn us and guard us and help us protect from these things. I want to give you two verses. The first one is, um, Jesus said in John 10, 28. I love this verse. It's one of my life verses. Jesus said this. He says, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And to this verse, I say, amen and amen. There's nothing in this world in existence that can pull me out of the Father's hands. I am eternally secure when it comes to my salvation. But on the flip side of that, it's gonna, you're almost going to see like, David, you, you're almost contradicting yourself. No, I'm not contradicting myself. I'm just trying to be faithful to the text. But I do believe there is one thing that can pull me away from Christ. There's one thing that can remove me from a relationship with him. And you know what that is? Myself. Myself. I can choose to, to walk away. That can happen. Let's look at the next verse, Hebrews 3.12. Hebrews 3.12. Again, I talked about who the audience of the book of Hebrews is. Some believe it was Jewish believers who were walking in the faith, who were tempted to go back. Some believe it was Jewish believers or Jewish um, unbelievers that were on the edge of faith. But here we, we have in Hebrews 3.12, where it says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The words of the text imply um, 
the words of the verse imply that they had turned to God. But it says that see to it that none of you has an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And my only point this morning in, in bringing these two verses into, into the conversation, into my sermon, is for you to understand this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, okay? You are eternally secure in Christ. But don't make the fatal decision to turn away and to walk away. Stay the course. Take the bull by the, by the horns. Get on board and, and serve him with all your life. Serve him with all your heart. And, and, and don't, verse 28, back to our study of, of Hebrews um, chapter 10, verse 28, don't set aside the things of God. Don't disregard, don't ignore him, don't walk away, don't reject, don't be an apostasy, don't turn away because he loves you and he died for you and he, he, he's here to serve you as you turn around and serve him with all your life. Let's look at verse 29. Verse 29, we have uh, the, the sin, this in view of this passage, the, the sin that the, the author has in mind that the Holy Spirit gives us in the text. Verse 29 says, How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who is trampled underfoot the Son of God? The first thing that grabs me there in verse 29, he says, How much severe of a punishment? In other words, it's a worse punishment to, to reject Christ, you know, for a person who's presented with the gospel to know the truth, to hear the truth, and to walk away. It's, an, it's, it's, a, it's a more severe punishment. But the sin is, verse 29, who is trampled underfoot the Son of God. Now just think about those words for a minute. Think about that phrase, trampled underfoot the Son of God. It makes me think about walking down the sidewalk and seeing something on the ground, seeing a, a, a roach or a bug or an acorn on the sidewalk. And what do you do? Stomp it. That's trampling underfoot. And that's what is in view here. To, to trample under the foot, to trample underfoot the Son of God means to step on, to walk away. It means to reject Christ. It means this, you know his commands. You've heard the truth and you walk away. Folks, family, that's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be, to know the truth, to hear the truth, but then to walk away from the truth. That is a very dangerous place. But let that not be said of us and our journey through this life as we serve Christ, that we walk away, that we reject, that we trample underfoot the Son of God. Because that's what happens when people reject him. Second part of verse 29, and he says, and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant. Whoa, whoa. He says, has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant. In other words, the blood of Christ means nothing. Is what's in view here. Is regarded as unclean, the blood of the covenant. They don't esteem the sacrifice that Christ made for us at Calvary. They don't esteem it. In other words, that word don't esteem means they don't hold it in high value. They don't, they don't hold it in value. And because they don't hold it in no value, they trample underfoot the Son of God. That's a dangerous place to be. You know, as Christians who understand the gospel, who understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he rose from the grave, that he made this great sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. At a bare, bare minimum, at a bare minimum, the most religious, pious person within the realms of Christendom in the world holds in high regard the sacrifice of the cross, holds in high regard, holds in high esteem the, the the, the sacrifice that Jesus made. You know, we're called to hold it in high esteem. In other words, we, 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 we consider it a very holy thing. We, we consider it a very holy thing. And then he says there in verse 29, by which he was sanctified. And here it is, the third part of this big sin that's in the passage. He's insulted the spirit of grace. In other words, when a person rejects Christ or they walk away, I'm not talking about, I'm not even talking about a lapse of judgment and a rebellion or, or going out and 
living in debauchery and then coming to your senses. This is an outright, you, they shut the door on Christianity. They're walking away. They don't want to have nothing to do with Christ. But ultimately, when they do that, it says they're insulting the spirit of grace. In other words, uh, Jesus referred to this as what? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. It's just, it's the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart. The Holy Spirit is working on you, and you just reject it. And you say, oh, I have nothing to do with this. What's the work of the Holy Spirit? The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin and draw us to Jesus Christ. And when a person rejects the work of the Holy Spirit, they're insulting God. That's what it's saying. That's what the text is saying. By which he was sanctified has insulted the Spirit has insulted the spirit of grace. What this, what this person is saying is, is, is this, God, I am smarter than you. Because let's be honest, what human being does not do what's in their best interest for themselves, okay? We all do that. We, we think, you know, I'm gonna make my decisions or what's in the best interest of myself. And they make those decisions. But the Bible says that we are sinners, and we need Christ. We, 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 we need, we're sinners and we, and we need Christ. And the Bible, uh, uh, news alert that I learned through the School of Hard Knocks, is, 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 is there's more wisdom and the Bible's more smarter than me. It's more smarter than me. And when, when God, when the word of God tells us you need Christ because you're a sinner or you need healing or you need reconciliation, or you need to go make peace, we need to take to heart those words and do what it says because the Lord is smarter than we are. And when we don't follow his leading and his direction, we're insulting the spirit of grace. And by the way, verse 29, if you, if you, make, if you put notes, making notes in your Bible, this is the greatest sin of humanity. This is the greatest sin. This is the sin that Jesus referred to in the Gospels as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's that deliberate rejection, turning away, apostasy, and walking away. Again, I've, I've asked this once or twice in my message. I'll ask it again. Any good reason? The answer is no. No, not at all. Verse 30. Verse 30 in our text. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Here it is again. He, he, he said this phrase back in verse 27. Verse 27, but a terrifying expectation. And here he is. He repeats it again in verse 31. little theme here. Verse 31. It says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. To reject Christ, to turn away from him, a person is making the greatest mistake. Apart from Christ, it's judgment and hell. With Christ, it's grace, eternal life in heaven. You know, I, I lived a pretty rebellious life before I came to Christ. And I came to Christ in 92. And there have been nights where I've had nightmares. I've had nightmares. I've thought back. I, I, I remember one instance where me and my friends were up at Lake Murray. And we were doing things we shouldn't have been doing. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, we took off. Had no business behind the wheel doing the things we were doing. And we were going down this long, winding road, and we almost lost control of the truck. And if, we, if I would have stepped into eternity without Christ, I would have perished because I was not trusting in Christ. I had not received him as my Lord and Savior. And I think back to all the drugs all the alcohol and all the situations I put myself in where I could, have, I could have been taken. And it terrifies me. It terrifies me. It's, it's, it's like a nightmare because it would have been a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God apart from Christ. And, and it shook me to my core. I think about some of the things, I think about, I don't want to tell you my junk. So I'm going to try to word it in a way that, um, so, you know, yeah, I remember Pastor David talking about this. And all that. I remember some of the junk. I'm just going to use the word junk. I remember some of the junk I put in my body, and I'm still alive. And I'm like, Whew. thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that I didn't go into 
I didn't have a heart attack that night. Thank you, Lord, that I wasn't overdosed on what I had taken. Thank you, Lord, that, I, that you've given me enough breath and enough life um, beyond those situations to put my trust in you. Because it would have been a terrifying thing to, to, to step into eternity without Christ and to stand before. The, the Bible talks about two judgments. There's the, um, the Bema seat. The Bema seat is what, what you and I will stand before. And the Bema seat is um, the judgment seat of Christ. It's not a judgment of salvation. Your sins were judged at the cross. But the Bema seat is a judgment of what we did with our life. How did we serve him? How did we respond? And that's a beautiful thing. That's where there's rewards given, and it's, it's, it's called the Bema Seat. But at the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about the great white throne of judgment. And that's where the unbelievers will stand before God in judgment, before the great white throne. And it won't be a judgment of their deeds and how they live their life. It will be a judgment of their failure to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, I'll tell people, man, if you wake up on the other side and there's this big white throne, you made some wrong decisions. <laughs> Don't make those wrong decisions. Make the right decision. Make the decision to serve Christ. You know, um, he says in here, this phrase, it just grabs me in verse 31. Again, it says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Terrifying. It means it's, it's going to be scary. Well, there's an alternative. Instead of falling into the hands of of a living God and being terrified by his judgment. Here's, the, here's, the, here's, here's, here's what we can do. We can fall into the arms of a loving Savior. We can fall into the arms of a loving Savior who will take the most wretched, deplorable, lost person and shower his grace and his mercy and his truth and his love on them. And all they have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you. Please come into my life. Please forgive me of my sin. Let's, let's, let's tell people, hey, instead of falling into a terrifying judgment, fall into the arms of a loving Savior. There's no higher decision a person there's no higher decision a person will ever make. If, if you get this right and everything else in life wrong, you have everything. But if you get this wrong and you have everything else right, you have nothing. And that, again, that's why when I share the gospel with people, I always end it with, man, think about what I said. There's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. That's what the author of the book of Hebrews is saying to his audience. That's what God is saying to us this morning is, man, hold my sacrifice in high esteem. Understand this, that there's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. There's nothing more important than your children's eternal salvation, your friends, your relatives. And that's why we're called to love them, to show them grace, to show them truth, to show them mercy, and guide them in life so that they can come to know Christ and fall into, again, I, I want to repeat that phrase, falling to the arms of a loving Savior who died for them at the cross versus falling under the judgment. That is the severe warning that the author presents in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. And now he's going to shift gears. Now that I've given you a severe warning, as the text says, are you ready for some strong encouragement? Y'all ready for some strong encouragement? All right, let's look at verse 32. He's going to shift gears. These go together. These go together. You know, the Word of God, it warns us, just like a, a loving Heavenly Father would warn His children that He loves, stay away from this, it's bad. But just like you do with your children, after you warn them, you encourage them. And that's what the Lord is doing in His Word this morning. Look at verse 32. Verse 32 says, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured, let's, let's, a bunch of these things here, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, 
and partly by becoming shares with those who were treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. This is where scholars get the point on the audience of the book of Hebrews that, uh, that they were Jewish believers that were undergoing persecution. They were undergoing persecution. And so they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, hopefully, possibly, but they weren't promised a better life. You know, walking the Christian life is not always easy. Many times the Christian walk is difficult. Sometimes the, the Christian walk is, 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 is challenging, it's difficult, and if you're going to live and be faithful to Scripture and be faithful to God, expect some persecution. Expect some difficult times. You know, uh, as, as our culture continues to spiral out of control, even now, even today, with the political and the social wars and all this stuff going on, as a Christian who stands firm in the gospel and stands firm in the faith, instead of riches, you might experience loss. Instead of popularity, you might experience persecution. Instead of promotion, you may be put down for your faith. These guys, according to verse 32 and 33, it says in verse 32, they were experiencing great conflicts of sufferings because they had come to Christ. They were made a public spectacle. That word public spectacle, that means you're, they're humiliated. They're embarrassed. They're, 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 they're people, whoever the forces were that were uh, imposing this on them, they were trying to embarrass them, humiliate them. They were trying to put them to shame because they had come to faith in Christ. Uh, they were going through reproaches. In other words, people were hating on them, calling them names because of their faith, and then they were going through tribulations. Jesus says, take heart. You will experience tribulation in this life. But he says, behold, I have overcome it. So the Christian walk is not always a bed of roses. There are seasons of our life where all is well, and we praise the Lord, and we rejoice for those seasons of peace. And I believe we get those from time to time where, where our hearts get to rest, our minds get to rest. But there are times in the Christian walk where you will face difficulty, where you will face trial, where you will go through difficult times. It's part of the journey. It's part of the world we live in. We live in a fallen world marred by sin. The kingdom is not here yet. It will be one day, but until that day, we will have trials. We will have tribulations. We may be made a public spectacle. We may be reproached. But what carries us? If you notice in my reading of the text just now, I stopped halfway through verse 34. I want a little pause there. What carries you and I through suffering, tribulation, and reproaches? The last half of verse 34. I'll read the whole thing, but it's at the very end. Verse 34 says, You showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of their property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. Family, what we have in Christ is more valuable than anything. In other words, if you have Christ, you have everything. If you don't have Christ, you don't have nothing. I don't care how much, I don't care what your, your checking account balance is. I don't care how big your house is or where you live or, or what you do in life. Um, if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. But if you have Christ, you have everything. It's our relationship with Christ that enables us to endure the difficulties of life. You know, it's when we see bad things happen, even to the righteous, and, 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 thing, and negative things happen. What that does is it causes us to have an eternal perspective. That's what it does. It causes us to have an eternal perspective. But this relationship with Christ and Christ living in us it enables us to endure anything the world can throw at us. So be encouraged in your walk with Christ. And if you're not serving Christ, serve him. Serve him and, and, and enjoy this better possession, this lasting possession. You know, Christ carries us throughout life. 
that the, the money in the checking account and the houses and all of our possessions, they come and go. But he, he lasts and he remains forever. Verses 35 through 39, as we close up chapter 10 this morning, it's going to lay out three elements, three elements of being encouraged. Three elements of being encouraged in light of what the text is saying, okay? And what, what, what is the text saying? That they were enduring persecution, they were going through difficult times. And um, so the three elements of being encouraged. And I, and I want to, as we look at these three ways of being encouraged, I want us to think about the world that we're living in today and the climate that we're in. Remember I opened up my sermon, I said God's word is perfect and he's sovereign and he's faithful because it gives us exactly what we need at the right time. I believe this word is for today as, it well, as well as it was for these first century Hebrews. Look at verse 35, three elements of being encouraged. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. The first thing we don't throw away First thing he's telling these guys don't throw away is don't throw away your confidence. What do you, what do you mean? What is, what is confidence? Confidence means you know what you believe. You know what you believe and you stand firm in it. Confidence means I know, I know this is true. And I'm going to stand on it because I know that it's true. Our confidence is in our relationship with Christ. Our confidence is in his word. Our confidence is in this relationship that we're living in him and through him and in us. And we have confidence that despite everything that's going on around us, we can have this confident faith, knowing what we believe and we can stand firm on it. Because it, like, it seems like every day there's a new Facebook post of a different view, a different angle, a different philosophy, a different deception, something that's happened with this political leader. I mean, it's just, it's just, it just goes, it, it, gets, it becomes nonsense. It becomes nonsense that we, sometimes we just need to ignore. And our confidence is not in the things of this world. Our confidence is in the Lord. We know what we believe, we stand firm, and we know it's true. So number one element I'm encouraging with this morning is be confident. Be confident. The second one's found in verse 36. He says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. The second element that I present to you this morning, and my encouragement, and this strong encouragement from the text to you, is endure. 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 What does endure mean? Endure means to stay the course. It means to stay the course. It means to be faithful to him, to be committed to Christ in your relationship with him, to be committed to his word, to be committed to your local church, to be committed to your spouse, to be committed to your family. Endure. Stay the course. You know, in the big picture, the grand scheme of things, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible call Jesus in the book of Revelation when he returns? faithful and true. We need to stay faithful to this word because he will be faithful and true when he returns. And we need to stay committed. And that word endure is, is the picture of um, continuing to the end, letting nothing get in the way. Lord, I'm, I'm in this for the rest of my life. That is how I encourage you this morning is to endure, stay the course. Do what God has called you to do. Stay faithful to him and endure. And then it says in verse 36 that you may receive what was promised. What is what, what, is what was promised? It's everything. It's Christ himself. It's, it's his joy, his peace, seeing him one day face to face in glory. That's the reason we're enduring, so we can see him as he is. And the, the final one, as we close up chapter 10, verses 37 through 39, he says, For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are of those who, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but to those who have faith 
to the preserving of the soul. You know, the, the third element that I encourage you with this morning, not only have confidence in your walk with Christ, not only endure till the end and walk a life of endurance, but live by faith. It is not God's plan for you to fall away. It's not God's plan for you to, um, as he says in verse 38, to shrink back. He's given you tools that will keep you from falling away. And those tools to keep you from falling away from the faith is, number one, his Holy Spirit. If you're born again believer, he's given you his Holy Spirit. His Spirit is inside you, indwelling you, leading you, guide you. If that wasn't enough, he's given you his word. He's given you his words so that you can spend time in his word and have faith. The script, Paul says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But the, the, the third element of encouragement in, in staying the course is have faith. Have faith. Not a wimpy faith, not a soft faith, not a squishy faith, but a solid faith. How do you get a solid faith? By doing what we're doing right now, getting into the word, and we're building our faith. As, as I'm reading off scripture, as we're reading scripture together, and it's going into your ears, through these little canals, then into your brain, your brain's processing it, and then the Holy Spirit is taking that information and he's applying it to your heart. He's, he's applying it to your heart, and he's given us a solid spiritual faith, or what some people call a solid belief, and we need to have that. Our faith needs to be solid, not only solid, but it needs to be bold. It needs to be bold because we know what God says. And this is his world. This is his world we're living in. It's his world where his people is his word. And because of that, we can have a bold faith. We can have a confident faith, as he was talking about. And, and, then, and then I, I kind of alluded into it there, but the, the third aspect of not having this wimpy faith but a solid and bold faith is to have a confident faith. Again, people ask us all the time. You see this on TV commercials and shows. Who is your faith in? Our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in Christ in Christ alone. And having a strong faith and being in the word enables us to not fall away. And again, you know, there is a spiritual, unseen world around us where Satan operates and demons operate. And if any one of those demons or Satan himself comes and whispers into your heart or whispers into your mind, turn away from Christ. You tell him where to go. H-E double hockey sticks. You tell him he can go back to hell where he came from. You tell him, I'm serving Christ. I'm going to live for him. You know, there's, again, there's, I see this passage from two angles. One is the evangelistic encounter where we're witnessing to the unsaved. And we say, hey, man, think about this long and hard. You know, there's judgment or salvation. There's forgiveness or there's condemnation. And, and, and I believe this passage applies to that. But it also can, I believe, apply to believers living for Christ today. And, man, don't turn away. Man, put on the full armor. You know, I think about soldiers in the military and, and the armed forces. You know, they go through central issue facilities and they put all their armor, they, they put their helmet on, they, they put their, um, their, all their gear on to protect them. You know, we need to do the same thing. They do that to protect themselves in war. My friend, you and I are in a war and we need to put on the full armor of God by trusting in Christ and living for him. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, salvation is like a coin. It's like a coin. It has two sides. Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. It, repentance simply means you apologize to God for your sin. You say, Lord, I have broken your laws. I have broken your commandments. I've dishonored you. And, and now, Lord Jesus, I am repenting. I am turning away with the help of your Holy Spirit. I'm turning away from that old life. And I'm turning to the cross. That's faith. 
repentance and faith, and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that means you invite him into your life. If you haven't done that, man, what's holding you back? What, what, what's, what's keeping you from following Christ? What, what good reason do you have to not let today be the day of salvation? Let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that you open your heart and you say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Please come into my life. Please forgive me of my sin. Please, please give me faith to believe. Let this be the day. If we're gonna, the worship team's gonna come up and play a song. If that's you, pray that prayer while during our final worship song. And if that is you, will you come up to me and let me know after worship? that, hey, I've prayed this prayer and, and I want to begin this journey with Christ and I'll help you. I'll help you. I will encourage you and you'll step out of darkness into light and there's no better decision that you could ever make, that anybody could ever make than following Christ. I believe a person can, as long as there's breath in their lungs, whether they're on their deathbed or whether they're a, a young child, as long as there's breath in their lungs, that door is still open to receive him as their Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. And Lord, I pray, Father, for the body here, for the Christians Maybe they've been attacked this week. Maybe those thoughts have come to their head from demonic forces, from heavenly forces to turn away from Christ. May this message be for them this morning to not walk away, but to endure and to love you and to ignore the voices of darkness and to trust in you with all their heart, Lord. Father, help us to protect our hearts. Help us protect our hearts and minds from apostasy and, and from the lies of Satan. And Father, encourage us this morning. For those who don't know you, I pray that you encourage them to turn wholeheartedly to you. And Father, for the body, I pray that they are encouraged this morning with strong encouragement to serve you with all their hearts. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the ministry of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.